politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for everything that matters in the way it matters at the time it matters. Perhaps your only true independent conservative source, news, views, and more importantly, strategy, outcomes. This is it. You ain't going to find it elsewhere. I'll tell you that much. So glad for you to join me here for a brand new week, January 22nd, Sierra Podcast. Please send the show to everyone you know. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes because everyone else is, uh, they got some problems. <laughs> to quote Andy Biggs, a congressman from Arizona, we we have him on the show a lot. He t- said in a interview with Newsmax, we have nothing <laughs> In my opinion, we have nothing to go out there and campaign on. It's embarrassing. <laughs> By the way, House Republicans are on another vacation while Schumer uh, controls the Capitol alone. You know, the Senate is always in and the House is always out. So uh, there's the GOP majority for you. Now you might say, well, Daniel, that's because they have such a slim majority and they can't uh, do much with it. Let me tell you something, folks. Let me... uh. Let me give you a story to illustrate where we are today, eight years into this much-vaunted populist nationalist revolution, the changing of the guards, the transformation of the Republican Party. No, no, no. It's no longer like the party of yesteryear. It is a new party of the people, represents the people. So you want to talk about slim majorities. Let's travel. You know, we've been giving you a little bit of a flavor of each state, and we're going to keep doing that. Today, I want to talk a little bit about West Virginia. Beautiful landscape, you know, right next door to my state of Maryland. And I, I keep thinking to myself, wouldn't it be nice to live there? I know a lot of people in my area that keep saying, hey, we should just go move out to West Virginia. Now, West Virginia is an interesting state. You see, Republicans control the Senate 31 to 3, and they control the House 87 to 11. Wow. How's that for a majority? In fact, to my knowledge, I haven't double-checked this, but I'm pretty sure this is correct. Democrats have not carried a single county, I think, since 2000 in a presidential election. So... Right, there's no meat but the media, but the Democrats, uh, but Hunter Biden. Okay, I mean this is this is you, you can't get better than this. Well, there's a man named a a Senate Majority Leader named Tom Takubo, T A K U B O, and he's a doctor, Doctor Tom Takubo. And he just introduced a bill, SB 412. And it's artfully designed to ensure that nobody could ever get out of a vaccine mandate with a medical exemption. So, you know, while we're looking at millions of people dying and thinking, oh my gosh, how do we take these off the market? How do we get informed consent out? How do we, you know, remake this childhood vaccine schedule? How do we audit? all these vaccines for its rationale, its safety, and its efficacy profile, he's thinking, what the heck? We have to make sure 
more people are trapped into the death. So he introduced SB 412, which requires, first of all, it limits all medical exemptions only to West Virginia doctors. And again, it's very slick because they know that within the state, they'll be disciplined by the state licensing board. So no one in the state's going to want to do it. And you always have to turn to out of state. So it has to be in the state. It then requires the doctor to submit his full rationale for the exemption to the state immunization officer. Imagine having that. This is not California. Okay, this is West Virginia. A state immunization officer. And if that weren't enough, the bill provides penalties to the physician for unethical conduct, including if he is subject to five or more overturned exemptions. Okay, so so what happens is the doctor now knows that you have to submit your rationale and it's going to be looked over. And if you're overturned, you could lose your license. Now, what sort of uh, you know what 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 sort of um, framework are they going to use to determine whether you get a medical exemption? The state immunization officer will base it upon current guidelines from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. So, <laughs> you know, the same CDC that drafted a letter warning about myocarditis in May 2021 and then purposely didn't publish it and then approved the vaccines and mandated them. Yeah, that that one. And then the bill mandates that the health officer review a random sample of the immunization officer's medical exemption approvals. And that go before the state health officer. And upon review, review if a significant number of the approved exemptions were found to be incongruent with the medical evidence, then the immunization officer faces either retraining or the possibility of progressive discipline up to and including removal from the position of state immunization officer. You see, my friends, something's interesting. This is not California. This is West Virginia. Now, I don't think this bill's ultimately going to go anywhere. But what it tells you is the fact that the Senate Majority Leader is introducing new bills to make the biomedical security fascist state even stronger, they sure as heck are not going to chip into uh, rectifying the existing fascism in West Virginia that allowed severe lockdowns, severe masking until recently, and the mandates and all this stuff. And in fact, we are now on our what? I mean, if, if you include 2020, because they were still in session, 2021, 22, 23, 24, this is our fifth legislative session in, in a state where you cannot elect Democrats, 87 to 11 majority, and we have not rectified a single one of those ills that Jim Justice uh, foisted upon us. And not only that, the governor, who is an ally of Takubo, is now getting a promotion. He's running for Senate because he's termed out. Otherwise, he'd probably win a third and a fourth and a tenth term there as well as governor. And you see, he got the endorsement of Mitterrand. And likewise, every Republican lockdown governor won re-election easily with the endorsement of Mitterrand. Mike DeWine in Ohio, Kay Ivey in Alabama, Greg Abbott in Texas, Every you know Tate Reeves in uh, 
Mississippi. Every single one. Every single one. So that's sort of kind of where we are today. So I don't want to hear this business of but the Democrats, they have to land the Democrats. Or Hunter Biden or the media. We have, imagine if I told you tomorrow Republicans would win nationally, uh, uh, you know, an 80-20 majority in the Senate. I mean, you would think we're headed for euphoria. No, we're not. So we're going to talk about this, you know, in the coming days how we get a reckoning on COVID and biomedical security, because clearly we're not going to get one. Um, But I recommend you guys, any candidate you know of running for really any office, but especially legislature or incumbent, get them to go to Americans for Health Freedom PAC and sign Dr. Mary Taylor Bowden's pledge that you will advocate taking the COVID shots off the market. That is something really we need to work on. Now, You guys might notice we're nine minutes into the show, and you might be wondering, why is this guy sitting and talking about some random dude and Bill in West Virginia? Wasn't there a big news story yesterday? Very big news story. Now, first off, obviously, you know, yesterday was not the sad day, really. It was kind of a relief. Monday night of last week was the sad day. We've already prepared for this. We talked about this all last week because mathematically it was already over with. So this just reaffirmed it. But moreover, I actually just addressed the 800-pound gorilla in the room without addressing it. You see, there's going to be so much back and forth, both debate among DeSantis supporters as well as the Trump supporters, that everything is all about which horse are you going to ride at a given time in a presidential primary? Well, I don't know what to do. Well, now I don't have anyone. Do I support Trump? Do I have to? Do I not have to? What do I do? And what I'm telling you is we're all missing the broad point. We're, if we don't change what we are doing, before we even get into the fact that Trump's not winning that general election, Regardless of what DeSantis people could go and knock on doors in the cold weather in sub suburban Milwaukee, Phoenix, and Atlanta and, and Las Vegas, you know, that's where you know the swing voters will be that determine uh the outcome of the close election. This one won't be a close one, so that won't even determine it. Um they they could all vote for Trump, they could vote for Trump twice and cheat <laughs> and vote extra times. It won't help. It's a straw man. What the real story is, is that eight years into Trump's dynasty of this party, it is more left than it has ever been before. So my question to you, those of you who are either Meta Trump supporters or those of you who you know, are like, Daniel, you know, I, I can't stand the guy, but we have to rally to him, which is fine. You can, you can vote for him, but, but that's not what it's about. Your vote is not going to mean much. Go do it. Vote early, vote often. Ballot harvest for the men. I don't care. But I think we're all missing the point. Before we even get to the viability of even the fact that he wins, let's just say he'd be a shoo-in to win you know, the general election, beat Biden. 
what is your plan for breaking this cycle of uniparty duplicity? The reason why I bring this up to preface today is because West Virginia is the perfect state. Every Republican there, all these guys, they're married to Trump. They're all very into Trump. Now, I know some of you might say that, okay, West Virginia is very Republican in a certain way, but they're still dependent on programs, and you know maybe they like their Social Security and things like that. Now, okay, so I would expect, fine, okay, let, let's, let's indulge that. So you'd have a Republican legislature that's not so fiscally conservative, but man, they're pedal to the metal on crime, illegal immigration, the woke stuff, biomedical security state, freedom, freedom of the individual. You might say kind of populist nationalists, maybe not conservative, but at least populist nationalists. But that's the joke. It's not. This is the epitome of a San Francisco woke leftist. And again, it's not like we're, we're, you know, nominating or electing a bunch of guys to places in West Virginia and in similar rural areas throughout the country that are maybe blue collar guys that, you know, don't quite understand Russell Kirk and Edmund Burke's philosophy on conservatism, didn't read Milton Friedman, but man, they're, you know, they're fundamentally with us on most issues. These are the most elite buffoons that are the epitome of what we were told the Trump revolution would get rid of, but in fact re-empowered. This guy, he's a doctor, right? He's not a blue-collar guy. He's the quintessential Dr. Karen biomedical security state guy, and he's the Senate majority leader. And I have news for you. He is the rule. Not the exception. So again, Nikki Haley is going to get crushed in New Hampshire. I would imagine she'll pull out. If she doesn't, it, you know, she's essentially out. But the reality is that Nikki Haley's worldview prevails in nearly every governorship, every cabinet appointee appointed by those Republican governors, assuming they're even Republican. Most of many times they're downright Democrats they appoint. State speakers, majority leaders, present pro temps, certainly like healthcare committee and judiciary committee chairman, and then certainly at a federal level in the House and the Senate. And when you look at each leverage point, well, why are we like this? Why, why, why did Congress fall apart? This is, you know, everyone agrees this is the most disastrous GOP majority of all time, any majority of all time. Because it all gets back to the, the debt ceiling sellout. That ruined everything. Why? Because we had Kevin McCarthy. Why did we have Kevin McCarthy? Because of Trump. Why do we have Rona McDaniel? Because of Trump. Why do we have Mitch McConnell? Because of Trump. Why do we have DeWine, Justice, K. Ivey, Greg Abbott, all these people? Because of Trump. So my first observation is we're all focused on the wrong thing. It's not a matter of, oh, how we get on his plantation. But how do the SOBs who broke this, who exacerbated the establishment, who made us go backwards since 2016, and make no mistake, we have gone backwards. Again, I'm not, I'm not even talking about conservatism. I'm talking about any measure of 
whatever you want to say, populist or whatever, we've gone backwards on all that, whatever your issue is. What is your plan to change that trajectory? I hear the primaries are over. No, actually, the primaries aren't over. The congressional and state primaries, state local primaries, they begin, I believe the first dates are March 5th. You know, some some are together with the presidential primary. Some states have two dates. They have a presidential primary, then they have a later date. But March, April, May, and June is essentially the primaries. Where is the effort on the part of any of these people to elect better people? Every one of those people, like we said on Friday, that, that made this Congress that everyone agrees is a joke, a failure, they will all breeze to renomination. So, so don't look at me saying, Daniel, as a binary choice, as Trump or Biden. Actually, you know, given that anyone with a half a brain knows there's a 99% chance Biden will win no matter what we do. What you would want to do is fortify Red America. And there's a heck of a lot of primaries we could get involved in. And there's a heck of a lot of legislative sessions we can get involved in. But then again, we're not interested in self-government. And therein lies the problem. It's actually not binary. But it's more reflective. The fact that you would reject a guy like DeSantis for this freaking washed up. And by the way, it's funny. I <laughs> I warned you. Newsweek is out with an article today about Trump slurring his words. There, And, and by the way, it is true. Conservative media has censored a bunch of these articles. Um, people wanted to write about it. Believe me, they're going to jump all over it now. And I just want to make something very clear. The notion of what you will do on that one day in November, or if you want to vote in one of the 3,000 early days of early voting uh, that Republicans have allowed to go on for a generation, that's the least important question. This is the longest general election ever now. We have nine and a, nine and a half months left. Do what you want. I, I'm, not, I'm not giving an opinion on that yet because I find it insulting to even talk about that. This is what they do. They truncate. Life is a series of General election dates every other year. There's nothing in between. There's no reckoning, no discussion, no debate how we got here. It's like, shut up. We're not having a primary. No debate. We're not going, we're going to censor every last point about Trump's ideological vulnerabilities, his conservative vulnerabilities, his electoral viability vulnerabilities, his health problems, the legal problems. And we're going to lie and gaslight our greatest, most accomplished man in our lifetime. And then the second it's over, shut up, shut up, get on, get on the plantation. Isn't it your job to make that case? Okay. Again, I I, I don't care. You want to vote, vote, don't vote for it. That, that's not the thing. That's not what's going to decide this. What's going to decide this is, A, like we said before, making sure no matter what, you fortify Red America. That's a big job, and and that's what we're going to focus on, as we always do. And that is much more in our power. Because don't, don't shoot – look, don't shoot the messenger. This is not my fault. 
when you shove a guy like that upon us and do not allow a debate, well, typically what happens with primaries when you have two candidates where its supporters roughly, at least on paper, want the same things, you just kind of argue over which leader personality you want to represent that, usually there's a sort of give and take that leads to a unity. Your guy won, but we had certain gripes that we, you know, why we challenged your guy. And your guy accepts responsibility for that. Like, yeah, you know, we need to incorporate some of your ideas. There, For example, there's nobody alive who believes there's going to be a reckoning on COVID. In fact, everyone's snickering and laughing. Well, that was the last chance for that, including the Trump supporters. They know that. Because like I told you, they have no ability to move him over to the right. They overstate their influence with him. So that's not going to happen. You see, I, I said all along, I said, look, even if you look at DeSantis with the most dung-colored magnifying glass, and you look at Trump with, you know, barely a quarter of an eye open, you still have to admit that DeSantis had unique things to offer that might be worth looking at. And Trump has some serious problems, okay? Even if you, you kind of don't see the things the way, the way we see, see them here. But we didn't do that. So there's some serious questions. How does this man win a general election? Okay? How do we ensure he stays in? How do we ensure he doesn't pick a bad VP and then give it over to them when he very likely does have to pull out? This is unchartered. You could tell me all you want. It's not fair what the feds are doing. But commensurate with your frenetic and visceral, vociferous demands that Trump must win the general election or we're going to die is your culpability in obfuscating any debate over what to do about it and any contingencies and any desire to get him to move him to the right, get him to run a more energetic and efficient campaign, get him more focused. That is your responsibility. <laughs> right? You can't sick upon me, a guy. It's like, he sounds retarded. He has major issues. He's likely vaccine injured, and we all know it. Because believe me, he did get the three, at least three doses. Because unlike the Democrats who faked a lot of it, he's stupid enough to actually believe in it. Because he's a cuck and a loser. You know, we need to know that. And then by some miracle, if he were to win, where is the evidence that he would ever, that we wouldn't repeat the last eight years? In other words, here's an interesting thing. Coming into 2016 or, you know, his presidency, Trump really did this alone especially after that video came out about his saying he's going to grab women by the you-know-where. So a lot of the, most of the like elected senators, um, except for Jeff Sessions, who he threw overboard, but they refused to even back him in the general, right? If you remember that, he had very little, what you would say, establishment support. Um, you know, Fox and the media picked him in the primary, but he had very little establishment support, and we all agree to that. So on paper, he had a lot of promise once he surprisingly got elected that he can now come in and, and be a very different sort of 
president with different sort of personnel. But the guy literally came in there and he brought Reince Priebus as his chief of staff and then down the line with the cabinet with few exceptions, each one was, I mean, not just establishment, but globalist par excellence with people like Gary Cohn and 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 obviously all of Kushner's shop and the Koch brothers he brought in and Steven Mnuchin and all of Mike Pence's people. And then Steve Bannon was kicked out in July of his first year. So that was back when he was in his full glory. Now you have every establishment. He is the establishment. There's not a single one not endorsing him. So now if he were to become president, you have Tim Scott slobbering over him. You have Doug Burgum. He's going to pick them all in the cabinet. The kind of fake presidential candidates. No one's talking about this. You now have a greater pool of rhinos that he feels he owes them something. Tell me how it wouldn't be worse. It wouldn't be worse this time around. But again, this is largely a moot point. Because nobody is talking about they got their man and they're going to destroy him now. And now they have their ballot harvesting apparatus. And Republicans have no money. And it's all going to go towards his legal bills. This was Everyone's like, that's disloyal. Shut up. But, I mean, these were serious questions because if you're telling – see, I'm, I'm someone who thinks the federal government is lost. I'm someone who thinks these are all false choices. I'm someone who thinks that if you can't make West Virginia work, then you're not going to make D.C. work for you. But if this is your tour de force, that everything is all about the presidential general election, so all the more so you are culpable for shutting down and preempting any legitimate debate about this. You know what I'm saying? This was not a fair primary where we had a meeting of the minds. We had the two of them on debate stage where, you know, DeSantis was allowed to debate him over his policy and personnel problems, over what is his plan to win a general election. And we kind we kind of come to some sort of understanding that did not happen here. So you can't just turn around to me. Shut up. You better elect him. And it's your fault. Okay, let me just say this. I'm flattered that they think we're so powerful. We don't make a difference. Okay, let, let me just state the obvious because I have perspective of challenging rhinos and primaries like nobody else does. And I'm just going to tell you that this happens every time. And we, we've talked, we talked about this for years together in Senate or gubernatorial primaries that they lie, they gaslight. And then they come the first second and say, shut up. Now it's time to unite. Unity is a two-way street. You, what you would typically do is you would incorporate some of your um, challengers' ideas and you know, take into account some of the concerns and demonstrate that you're on top of that. But none of, this, none of that has happened because nobody is demanding that. Because ask not what the idol can do for you, but what you can do for the idol. And that's wrong. We have nine and a half months and it is his job and the job of the people who broke this to get him on message, to get him off of rhino endorsements, to get him right on COVID and the vaccines, 
to get him to run a competent ground game and to promise and ensure that he picks someone who's good as VP who would be able to step in in this unprecedented situation so we're not stuck with this. And we're not stuck with not only Trump losing, but a down-ballot wipeout. And believe me, that is where this is headed. Live by the polls, die by the polls. You look at all the polls, and they show that if he is convicted, he will never be able to get around that. But they're going to have the drip-drip long before a full conviction. So it's like, it's funny, I'm watching these guys, they're panicking now, you know, the bravado is all over, we need, oh my gosh, this is gonna be really tough, it's gonna be really tough to be Biden, okay, you guys need to get, get, get on board, shut up, because they're trying to set it up that somehow it's Ron DeSantis's fault that they nominated the most retarded, subversive, unelectable guy imaginable, he's, you don't get more electable, let, let, let me tell you something, in this era of mass media saturation, even if you're the best president imaginable, you're, you, you, you can't really win a third term. And this is a third term for Trump in the sense that he ran a second time, Biden got in, and now he's running a third time. It's too much saturation, even for a regular guy that doesn't have all these embarrassing things and needlessly turns people off and, and just sounds like an idiot in front of everyone except for those who worship him. It would be true of DeSantis. It would be true of anyone. You, you're timed out. In this era. Gone are the days of Richard Nixon. Where you could kind of hang around for a long time. Lose and come back many years later. It's too much saturation. Here's the reality. Here's the reality. And nobody could refute this. Because we have ironclad. Years worth of political science data. Of hard election returns. Around this. And that is. Trump was running. And he was new. And he turned a lot of suburban voters off. But he did commensurately grow a coalition on the other end of the spectrum. And it was really close. Hillary was a horrible candidate. The worst the Democrats could have persona-wise. But as it turned out, also in terms of laziness and campaign apparatus, kind of like what Trump is now, that's what Hillary was. And they were complacent. And he surprised them and won the slimmest of slim victories in four states, that flipped it. Very, very slim in each one. It could have easily gone the other way. But respect, respect. And we all had respect for them. We're like, wow, okay, you know, it's, it's great. But then what happened was, within a few months, the floor opened up from under him among suburban voters. And he bled and bled and bled and never was able to grow a coalition to offset it because, frankly, no such coalition exists. There is, in, in other words, you're not going to win 40% of the black vote. Okay, that's just not going to happen. If you did, then theoretically you could offset it, but it's not going to happen. Certainly not, you know, quickly. It would, it would, if it would, it would happen over the course of a half a century or something like that. So they got crushed in the 2017 um, Virginia legislative elections. That's always the first harbinger. And it wasn't just the typical, you know, the, the party out of power tends to win that. This was really bad. I mean, the collapse of suburbs. It, it just, just, you know, not just the right outside of Richmond, Virginia, 
but you know, Glenn Allen and even going farther um into the surrounding areas west. It was it was that that was really jarring. I mean, areas that Republicans held for 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 a century. Um and that continued throughout every special election. And then you had 2018, which was a slaughter and that ushered in not just Democrats, um, but radical, radical, radical Democrats that we've never seen before. And not just in the big urban areas, but even in the suburban areas that they recently took over. And, and we have suffered so much from that. Then you had 2020, where fundamentally it was closer because, you know, then, then we were able to match the intensity with Republican turnout. So it wasn't kind of like you know just a total intensity gap of a, of a midterm when it's only the guys out of power that are upset. So it was closer. And again, you could think it was stolen, and but but most of the stealing was built off of COVID and the CARES Act. Okay, we all thought fine, fine. Democrats, you got your guy, you got Joe Biden in. Now it's going to wash things out. Now we can go back. Now the suburban voters are going to hate him. And then we suffered a degree of inflation headed into the midterms that we never could have imagined. Okay, never could have imagined. And if you would plug in an algorithm of economic, social, political factors, Republicans should have won 80 seats in Congress. But it turns out on net, they actually lost the election. They lost the Senate seat. They did gain a few House seats, which ironically was enough to flip the chamber, but only because of DeSantis and Lee Zeldin in New York overperforming there. But that doesn't do it justice. They lost a number of governorships. They lost a number of state legislatures. But most importantly, the floor fell out from, from Republicans in the critical states. See, if you look at the top lines, it doesn't look like a disaster. Now, even a small loss is a disaster in a midterm with an, with your party being out of power against an unpopular Dem sitting president and inflation in the economy the way it was. That is something very, very jarring. But it actually was worse because, because if you look at the strategic states, like Arizona, like... Michigan and Pennsylvania, just the bottom fell out from under them. They lost the Pennsylvania House. They lost both chambers of the Michigan legislature. And, you know, they barely held on to the Senate seat in Wisconsin. They lost Supreme Court justice in uh, in Wisconsin, which, by the way, will have might wind up flipping the legislature there eventually because of their new maps. And we were all stunned. We were all stunned. And no one learned the lesson that clearly there is some inveterate entrenched factor in the electorate that we have not gotten rid of. And it's really, it's two things. There's two separate things that are both fatal independently, but certainly together. And and nobody could deny this, the pattern we're seeing. Number one, suburban voters will not vote for Trump or enough of them, even if they give Biden a 30-35% approval rating, they still will vote for him. And by the way, this is why I believe that I no longer think Dems will swap out Biden, unless there's something really physical he can't go on, because Biden's the perfect thing. He's, he's, he's not liked, 
but he's kind of a status quo. You know, people are scared of something new. So he's he's there already. And he's blah. And they could keep the focus constantly on Trump's person personality and personhood. In other words, if they were to bring up a new guy, you run the risk of your guy generating too much intrigue and speculation and becoming his own lightning rod. That's the worst thing you want. So I actually think they will they will stick with Joe Biden. They'll swap him out after um, you know maybe at a later date. But uh, they're going to stick with him. And then this is continuing in the 2023 elections, both the regular ones in Kentucky, Wisconsin, um, uh, Virginia, even even Mississippi to a certain extent. And then obviously every single special election, you're seeing this intensity gap. It doesn't make any sense. How do you have an intensity gap when you have a radical, destructive, unpopular Democrat party in power and you guys are chomping at the bit to get it? It's defying political science. And the answer is, again, two things. Number one, suburban voters are, 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 are just – they will not vote for the guy. There's not a single suburban voter that couldn't stand him in 2020, and now they love him. What, now they're going to vote for him after all of his psychotic behavior? And he's even more off his game, off his rocker, okay? And then there is the ballot harvesting, early voting dynamic. I mean, we saw this in Virginia. They just banked that early voting, and Republicans never matched that. And, you know, one of the things, you find this throughout Scripture, all over Proverbs and, and Psalms, God raises up the haughty only to, to crash them down. He trips them up over their own, their own haughtiness. Right now, these guys, they're so stupid. They're on cloud nine. Trump's going to steamroll through the primary. It's going to essentially be an incumbent. He's going to win by affirmation. And it's going to look really strong. But again, it doesn't take much to look strong when you have complete control over the base and the base's media and, you, and the party apparatus. You'll win the primary. Again, there's not there's no great juggernaut about Chuck Grassley as a 90-year-old, and he beat his opponent 74-26 in the primary. Now, he was able to win the general because Iowa is now a solidly red state. It's a rural state. But here's the thing. So they all think, ha, 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 all he needs to do is just, again, there, there clearly are some health problems with him. He does not have a lot of energy. And, and look, the guy, the guy is 77. Kind of makes sense. I mean, it was a big thing at the time that Reagan would be 77 when he ended his second term. And that was a consecutive thing, so you don't want to get rid of him after one term, so whatever. But to initially elect a guy anew at 77, it, it just defies logic. And we just glossed over that. They think they could run a basement campaign because it worked for them in the primary, but that's ridiculous. It's not going to work for you in the general. So nobody has explained, dating back to 2017, what is going to change that trajectory. I mean, if anything, gas prices are, you know, lower than they were in the midterms on paper. There's no factor that's going to change this, and you're not seeing it change. Other than the media 
eased off of Trump <laughs> to be complicit with conservative media. And that's it. And then there's another aspect I want to get to here. We always bemoan political correctness and censorship on the left. We bemoan their hypocrisy, their two-tier justice system. But you know what? I, I want you guys to hear this. We have a degree of PCN censorship on the right that is worse than the Democrats. Because we, because the Democrats, when they censor, they censor in pursuit of their interests and their outcomes. When we censor, we censor to subvert our own stated ideals. You see, this entire primary worked on censorship. That you are not allowed to utter a peep of good news about the governor or bad news about Trump. It was a complete lockdown. It was worse than Dem media coverage in a general election. Okay? By the way, it was no different than in 2018, conservative media censored anyone's opposition to the First Step Act. Imagine that. Trump gets in, takes a bill that Obama could not get passed, and passes something that is antithetical. It's at the opposite end of the ideological spectrum of populist nationalism. Again, I use that term because that's what they say they believe in. They say, we're not conservatives. We're that. Okay, fine. And we were no longer allowed to have the view that Trump his entire life held on crime and really, even up to the moment, kind of didn't like it until Jared Kushner and all those people and he brought in Kanye West and and uh, Kim Kardashian's rear end. And it all worked out. But we were not allowed to hold that view. So I'm sorry. I'm not going to sit and say, shh, Daniel, shh, don't say anything. Let me tell you something. I, I'm, I'm going to let the secret out. Shocker. DeSantis voters are going to go, they will vote for Trump in the general election. I know I'm going to get a lot of emails from people. I'm a DeSantis supporter. I'm, I'm never going to vote. And I understand that. But by and large, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing. We'll broach that at a later date. Now is not the time for that. People are asking, asking me about RFK. Again, all of them have to earn our support. I, don't, I, I know he's good on vaccines. Other than that, He's got he's to make a campaign against the duopoly, and he, he would have a chance. And likewise, Trump has to earn our support as well. We have nine and a half months. That is the least important thing we need to talk about, because that's not before us. What is before us is the need to answer, how do we get Trump elected, even if you want to? More importantly, how do we get other Republicans elected down ballot? And more importantly, how do we get the right Republicans in primaries down the ballot? And how do we focus on the issues? and actually have a conservative movement or a right-leaning movement and party. That's, that's my focus. Look, if all you talk about is general election presidential horse race, so maybe you have the right, you have the, you have the obligation to sit and say, well, I'll, I'll vote for him. That, that's not my thing. We have a much broader focus here, and rightfully so. But I'm just stating, I'm just doing horse race here. Because much to my chagrin, I've experienced this my whole career, when we've had Mitch McConnell type of Republicans not just win a primary, 
but win it in an extremely disquieting, unfair, and unsettling way, all of our guys, very shortly after, they just get on board. Because they're just so scared of the Democrats, and they're so, they don't see the, you know, three-dimensional game theory of how in the long run you actually go negative. You know, they don't yet see that. So they're like, look, on, on a static analysis, it is true. It's almost always true. On a static analysis, you you know, side by side, you know, the Democrat 100% is bad. There's nothing you can do to influence them. A bad Republican, sometimes you could cajole them, pressure them, you know, and to, to do the right thing. On a static analysis, it's always true. Now, long-term dynamic analysis, it's a little bit more complicated. But I'm just telling you horse race-wise, so there's no misunderstanding, they will almost all support him. They won't be happy, but they'll, they'll, they'll do it. There is nothing DeSantis or his supporters could do to influence this. But the reality is, it's the 20% light marginal Republicans and the swing voters who will not vote for him. And that portends not just a loss, you know, kind of like the 2020 sort of outcome, but a 1964 outcome. And and there is nothing the DeSantis people, DeSantis could could personally marshal an army to door knock all day and night in suburban areas in the key states. And it will not get this man elected. That is not my problem. That is your problem. You broke it. You own it. You can't sit and shove the most unpopular, unhinged, subversive guy. Trump is of COVID vaccine. He's negative effective for what he's supposed to do in the populist nationalist realm. And then you get all the side effects. There's no saving grace. So what do you want from me? You shove on some dementia guy. And believe me, the stuff's going to come out about him. The guy just sounds like a buffoon. Shh, shh, Daniel, don't say that. It might make, make him not unelectable. <laughs> well, the suburban voters don't know that. But if a DeSantis supporter say it, you know, look, I, I would love for him to win. For eight years, we said, we can't be more pro-Trump than he is himself. But that's what they're doing. They're setting up to blame DeSantis for his inevitable loss that they know is going to happen. So I disagree with the premise that it's over. Again, aside from the fact that we have the legislative sessions. We have the budget bills on the federal level that we could focus on but don't. We have the primaries for down the ballot. But even as it relates to this presidential, um, presidential election, if you are the type that, Daniel, I don't care about anything. All I want is Trump to beat Biden. Okay. But if that is your case then don't you have an even greater responsibility to have a family discussion right now? Right now, right at this moment. On these questions we're asking, both ideologically, focus, campaign structure, and, and what is your game? What is your plan? What is your plan with the courts? By the way, we're going to get into this more tomorrow, but it's the funniest thing that they, they honest, the best I can see, to the extent that they expend brain cells thinking about this and game, gaming it out, is that the Supreme Court will save Trump. A um, couple things on that. First of all, by the time they would, the, the damage to his image will be so devastating. You know, you, you might eventually keep him out of prison, 
but you're not going to get him to win the election. But number two, moreover, the notion that with 91 charges, you're going to that that the Supreme Court's going to overturn every one of them. So, <laughs> dude, and, and by the way, I laugh. This is another way where you're going to choke on your own bone. Trump appointed three justices, none of whom were on his list of promises. And they suck. They suck bad. No one else will tell you that, but I have the receipts. And I'll have a column out on that tomorrow. They screwed us on another tranny case. So do you really think that they're going to want to take that up? And then moreover, a lot of people don't understand. What, what is unfair about what they're doing to Trump is the two-tiered system, is the fact that if you take the law and you go 100 million degrees against your opponent and then you do nothing against your, you know, y- y- the people on your side, that, that fundamentally is a subversion of law. But in a technical sense, especially with the documents case, right, once you pursue that and make an indictment and bring it to court, there will be technicalities where, like they say, the law is an ASS, okay? The law is a rear end, and that's going to apply here. And the so-called conservative justices like to be super technical, and they're not going, you know what I'm saying? You, a Supreme Court justice is not tasked with overturning the FBI's unfair picking on one side in the country. That's not a justiciable case. So, I mean, what is your answer? That's not fair. We got to have loyalty. Stan B, he's being persecuted. Okay, but if you really believe that, then the best loyalty is ensuring you win the election. So I disagree that this is over with in the sense of, at the end of the day, the convention is not till July. And while obviously, in a practical sense, we allow the voters to decide, but in a technical sense, it's ultimately the party officials do decide the nominee. And what I'm just saying is, don't we need answers to this? These are serious questions about him. So the onus is on you commensurate with how serious you believe Biden needs to be beaten is how criminal it is for you to have intervened on behalf of Trump to get him the nomination and then just sail through without trying to deal with any of this. The DeSantis people are the least consequential people in this. And whether you, know, you want to go and vote for him or not is the least consequential decision. It's what are we going to do right now to get him to commit to a path to win or step the hell aside or at least appoint a VP, uh, a running mate who will be agreeable to all of us and that he could potentially step in if it gets real bad. If, if, if it becomes evident for three months straight that you're getting crushed and that the entire, the Democrats are going to win everywhere, you have an obligation to then hand it over to that guy, but first you have to pick a good guy. There's a lot more I left on the table here, but I just want to end today with a word about DeSantis himself. So first of all, those of you who are disappointed that he pulled out um, you're wrong about that. There was nothing to pull out. There was nothing left. Um, he had no money. Uh, he did everything he could. Our base is captured. So 
you know, you, you to do a Zachariah in the temple just gets you killed. The governor had an obligation to himself and to all of us to preserve his ability to continue being a voice for us. Unfortunately, he would have gotten destroyed, humiliated, getting single digits in every state to remain in. It wasn't going to work. Thankfully, he doesn't have to go back to irrelevance. He's the governor of the third largest state. Now he's going to go back, be better than ever, be that voice against the rhino, keep your national voice, as long as you don't directly touch the idol, which, frankly, he's irrelevant at this point because of what I said, and be that voice for all these other projects we're talking about. That is That has more value. This is not a... Let, let, let me let me uh, say this. Do you guys have positive or negative thoughts about Dunkirk? Well, you say, what do you mean? Dunkirk is what enabled us to win the World War II. At that moment, the British military did not have the ability to fight Germany. So they had to retreat to a stronghold to live to fight another day better. And that wasn't years later. That was immediately. But they had to do that. This is a Dunkirk. And, and it wasn't much, it, like Dunkirk, it wasn't like a decision. See, a decision would have been had he won, let's say, 30% in Iowa. Honestly, he still couldn't have won a single state because that was with Kim Reynolds, and you focused for six months on one state, and it's a caucus, and it's a small state, and it has a history of bucking the establishment. So you still weren't going to win a single other state. You wouldn't have been embarrassed in staying in, but honestly, that would have dragged it out longer. And when I say drag out, I don't mean, oh, because we're harming Mr. Trump. <laughs> I don't give a darn about that. He's, he's harming himself. It's for our movement. We need to retain the one voice we have. We cannot let that go, and we have an obligation to use that one weapon we have where it's strongest now. And you never know. You never know when that will be needed. And I don't just mean 2028. I mean right now, this year, in multiple, multiple capacities. Um, in many respects, DeSantis is like Josiah in the Bible, where... You know, you have generations of people just irrevocably serving Baal. And God's, you know, sends the prophets, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna destroy you. It doesn't have to be this way. You gotta stop, turn back to the 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 God of Moses, the Bible, turn back to the commandments, get rid of the pagans. And they kind of went through this cycle. And then right before the destruction, when God was gonna do this, he sent them one more leader. That wasn't just better than what they've had recently. Throughout the uh, Book of Kings, it talks about you know each king with the wicked ones, the ones that were more righteous, and it measures them up to, did they walk in the ways of, of David? Did they walk in the ways of David and God or not? But then when it gets to Josiah, it takes it a step, ba a step back, that there was never a man to come before him or after that returned to God on the level of Moses with all of his heart. God's like, I'm going to send you a guy like that way out of his time, plucked out of like a hundred, you know, hundreds of years earlier. And the guy comes at, at a young age of 18, he becomes king, finds a remnant of 
the book of Moses and is like, oh my gosh, like this, this is what we need to be doing. And we're, we're so far off. And he goes on a campaign to a, a, a abolish every bit of bail, every vestige of bail he finds, he destroys, he implements, he does. He's like, you know, everyone's like, yeah, we're, we're suffering. We need to return to God. He's like, really? Oh, we're going to do it fully. And what happened was he thought that almost, almost like a little bit of naivety that the, the public was behind him. Yeah, we're getting rid of bail. We're returning to God. Our fortune's going to come back. And at, at that time, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, wanted to pass his army through Judea. Now, not to attack them, but to attack, uh, you know, the enemies on the other side. Was it uh, the Armenians or uh, Ammon? I'm forgetting which one it was. And Josiah was like, wait a minute. God promised in Deuteronomy that if you, you know, return to him with all your heart and you keep all of the commandments, that a sword shall not pass through your land, meaning even to come peacefully to attack someone else. He's like, no, I'm going to stand up to that. And he goes and, and runs into him. But tragically, he didn't realize that behind his back, people of his generation were laughing out of him. Ha ha ha. This guy actually believes in that stuff. You know, people who claim that this is what they wanted, a revival, and, and they got it. They were uh, worshiping Baal in the privacy of their home, so Josiah's uh, you know government wouldn't, wouldn't see it. And he was unaware of it. And because of that, because of the sins of his generation, he fell in battle. And now hopefully I'm not portending that, the, the end part, to draw the analogy to DeSantis. Hopefully we're not at that stage. But he reminds me a lot of a Josiah figure. Um, d- dare I say, almost there's almost an element of pure naivety in him. I-, I know it from talking to him. I know from just watching him operate. He so believed in the goodness of Republican voters that they would rally to principle. I've, I've almost, ne- I could count the amount of times I, I cried in my life. And I almost teared up. It was uh, late last week. So you've gotten destroyed by every element of conservative media. When you were the hero, you did everything. You lost everything. You put it all in Iowa. You, I couldn't imagine the emotional letdown of the, the way he campaigned for every vote. And make no mistake, that is the sort of campaign you need to win a general election on the ground. And... He goes into New Hampshire. He's pulling at five to seven percent, and he's 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 still you know even as he's considering dropping out, goes at it, does the town halls, hosts the events, and fields questions, talks like a normal human being, and then his campaign staffer got on the microphone and said, "Okay, this is going to be the last question," and then just in such a a, a pure moment of innocence, DeSantis goes, Ron goes and says, "Uh." No, 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 no. I, I really want to take a lot more. We can take a lot more. This is good. Let's let's take more questions. And and I, I almost just like lost it at that moment. It just it just the pureness of character is unreal. I I do have to say, you know, mistakes are made strategically by the candidate and campaign in every election. But as we noted, there is no there is no campaign that would have won this. There is no person who could have won this in retrospect. 
that is clear. There's always lessons to learn going forward, but those things pale in comparison to the 800-pound gorilla factor that with unanimity of the party apparatus and the conservative media, you are not going to win this election. It's like an incumbent election. I've experienced that long ago, and anyone who thinks it's not true, they don't understand what it means to challenge an incumbent in a primary. He made the right decision. He did what he could do. He's preserving himself for another day. But I will tell you, you know, I, I don't slobber over politicians. You buy them low and you sell them high. <laughs> okay, they're there for you, not the other way around. But I will say, my admiration for the man and his wife, Casey, has only grown exponentially throughout this. And I think there is a lot of potential good here. We do have a movement. We do have a leader. Not everything is about the presidential election, and that in itself is going to have an awful lot of unchartered complications in the coming months. And now's the time to double down, for him to double down on our work. It is not our job to obsess about the presidential election. That is their job. That is your obsession. You wanted that. You eat it. We have a lot of work to do in self-governing. And we are absolutely going to do it to its fullest. We're not backing down one bit. This is our Dunkirk. And the British and the Americans who joined them afterwards, they started fighting back right away. This is not about 2028. This is about right now. Let me know your comments, questions, concerns. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. We have a lot more coming up this week. We're going to focus on a diversity of subjects. When you come and focus on the magnitude of substance I do, then maybe you have the right to criticize me. Are you supporting, not supporting? That's something that we have plenty of time to talk about. And the biggest person who is going to determine that is Trump himself. That is his job. That is the job of his supporters. You own it. You broke it. You own it. We have our focus. We have our marching orders. Godspeed. Let's get going. Till tomorrow. God bless you all, and thank you for listening. 